All right, y'all, what's going on? Hope everybody is well. I thought we would uh, pop in with a drop-in surprise uh, on, an, on a Saturday night. Uh, so, hope everybody's doing well. I see a few people I know in the building. Uh, Jim and I appreciate that support. Uh, good officer, what's going on? All right. Um, let me see. Malika, what's the word? What's happening? AB, what's going on? Okay. Mr. He, what's happening? Now, y'all know, uh, with a subject like this, um, I just didn't really feel like doing it by myself. I don't mind, but it's a lot, it's a lot more fun when you got somebody, uh, in there with you. So, you know, I, uh, reached out, you know, a couple brothers hadn't seen it yet, but one who had seen it and mentioned it very early on, who I thought would be great to have on here is none other than Mr. Green Gorilla himself. So welcome in brother. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, man. What about yourself? Man, I can't complain. I just ate some Chick-fil-A, man, with an Arnold Palmer <laughs> and some big, you know, some, a big uh, thing of fries, man. I'm good, boy. I'm content. You got the itis? You, you. Man, I ain't got the itis, but uh, I'll, I got the all rightis. I'm all rightis. <laughs> That's what's up. All right. Let me see. Uh, okay. Hold on here. All right. Appreciate that, Malika. Um, but yeah, man, we in here, man. I thought we could we could have a little discussion and uh, get a few things going. We got about thirty two people, uh, thirty three. It's ticking up very slowly, so we getting in, people in here uh, slowly but surely. Uh, Shango, Ickles, Tiger. Let me see. Voluntary celibacy. Um, Gemini. Uh, DJ Monty for you. Um, we got uh, Nae. Uh, Jaddy, I hope I'm not mispronouncing anybody's name, but we got a few people coming through. JC, uh, GC, right? So we're getting it in there now. You now, just in case y'all haven't checked it out, please make sure you go back and check out, um, you know, Green Gorilla show, especially in this last week. The brother's been on fire, so you know, definitely check it out. The welfare series is ridiculous, and the current one he's doing now on feminism. You want to talk a little bit about that? Tell people what to look for. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you for the plug. Uh, for the most part, I am covering a debate uh, that was held in 1994 uh, on Bill Buckley's firing line. And so you have uh, a group of people who are arguing uh, the relative merits of the women's movement of the second wave, for the most part. Uh, Betty Friedan's contribution to you know the second wave of feminism. Okay. And it's called, is the women's movement a disaster or has the women's movement been a disaster? So, you know, you got men and women on both sides arguing whether or not that, that you know, this movement has actually been a disaster. So uh, it, it's, it's dope to me because it just shows you that some of the things that we're arguing about uh, have already been argued about in the nineties, mm -hmm. early nineties. So. And they're a lot more transparent than you would think, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you were doing this series. The, the, the feminists in that argument have been real transparent about certain things, and you don't hear that today. Exactly. So wh why, why are they so candid about the shortcomings of contemporary feminism? But right. I mean, not contemporary, but second wave feminism. But 
nobody today is able to offer any kind of critical analysis of it whatsoever without being typecast as a filthy, loathing, toxic, masculinist woman hater. (laughs) It's like, come on, man. Like these ideologies and these theories have an impact on men's lives, on children's lives, or Mm -hmm. on women's lives. And and you don't even get to have a discussion about it. Uh, You just have to blindly accept it. Otherwise, you know, you face the wrath of the, you know, uh, the radicals. But it's not even the only consequences are social consequences, really. Right. And uh, people aren't willing. Yeah. That, man, we've become a uh, man. All I can say is we have a culture of weenies. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, man. Like, I mean, you know, like you can't even say what you don't like anymore without being, you know, accused of being a baddie, whatever that is, you know. <laughs> I just I, I don't get it, man. Like I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> think about it, man. Like there was a, you know, I forget that brother, man, because it was another debate that was being had. Uh, I can't remember the brother's name because you know it just eludes me at the current moment. But um, where he was uh, being critical of uh, feminism, and uh, it was Huey Newton and, and a few other people that were having a, a dialogue, and, they, and he was being critical of. Uh, feminism uh-huh. but nowadays you can't even say anything it's like if, if you say it everybody's gonna look at you like you're the bad black man the boogeyman you yeah. you, you hate women it's and, a kind of thing yeah yeah you, you can't reduce every critical argument or concern to misogyny it's it's mm-hmm. it's childish mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 to show that people were actually able to go back and forth with the founders of second wave feminism, the movers and the shakers, that they right. were actually willing to say that there were excesses related to it. It just says a lot about where we are now. And, oh, these, yes. and black men are for the first time encountering, you know, all of these, you know, these ideologies just bearing down on their shoulders and they don't have any responses. Well, the responses are there. Right. But we were, <laughs> we, that wasn't something we were really made privy to or educated on in any serious way, especially in regard to black feminism, it, it, it's, it's never really taken place. Uh, when we learn about it in, in school, it's it's primarily, it's almost religious in the way it's taught. It's primarily to indoctrinate you into becoming another worshiper rather than a critical analysis of how these gender dynamics work, um, which is why a lot of the students that I have end up, you know, thanking me because they learn it from a different vantage point. So, and that's partly what we're going to get into tonight. It's kind of unavoidable, especially on my platform. When we review media, um, that's, that's one of the, the main things we go for, you know, um, you know, at least here, because as black masculinists, we pay attention to the way, basically th- this whole area, if I were to sum it up in some respects, a good portion of it would be the way white supremacy functions within the black family, the black family structure via policy. And ideology, and the primary ideology that we find that impacts the black family is feminism, white uh, black feminism in particular, uh, especially in regard to what it appropriates from white feminism. So that's kind of what one of the things we look at here. Um, Let me interject real quick before you move forward. So Mm -hmm. it's 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 a strange though mix because you have contemporaneous with the women's movement, uh, second wave feminism. You also have LBJ's Great Society. Mm-hmm. So you got both of those, and that's what Ariana Huffington says, which is the woman who founded Huffington Post. Right. Uh, 
so at the same time that you have, uh, you know, the, the women's movement taking place, you got welfare taking place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the no man in the house rule, uh, mm-hmm. you know, women being given not real subsidies, but piecemeal subsidies that come along with, and I'm using air quotes, therapeutic services. Mm-hmm. So those two together, they just basically destroyed, they eviscerated the black family. Mm. So, anyway, yeah. man. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm about to put uh, Gigi's um, cash app in the comment section. Um, I'm just... Man, you ain't got to do that, bro. Different platforms doing it, you know, just uh, trying to get smoother with this stuff. Um, make sure... <laughs> Make sure you support Gigi. Um, and like I said, check out his show because it's it's not breaking from the topic. It's actually very consistent with what we're talking about tonight. We're just going to show how it functions um, in application. Um, oh, that's not what I was trying to put up there. But anyway, and you can support the show here, the Onyx Report um, as well, much as uh, that it's, it's appreciated uh, either way. Um and uh, to those who already have, um, much appreciation to you. Uh, shout out to Kashif for the cash app. Uh, so look, let's 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 get it in, man. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what we're looking at is this film. Actually, it might be easier. Hold on, let me do it. I'll, I'll just share the screen. Uh, if we can just start out. <clears throat> Wow! Whoa! There you go. My whole system is tripping. All right, there we go. There you go. Y'all know what it is, right? Oh man! Look! Oh my God! <laughs> Just seeing it, uh, you know, it's it's. Oh my God, man! Uh, yeah, yeah, terrible, bro. <laughs> so we. As y'all can tell, y'all know, uh, we watched it. We watched Coming to America, you know, came out uh, technically Friday, but, uh, you know, uh, I think, it, you know, by midnight, it was available uh, Thursday night, Friday morning. So I watched it then since I don't generally go to bed until around sunrise anyway. And I noticed that Gigi had mentioned it during his show. So you, you, you saw it pretty early on as well. And uh, this is definitely, as most of you know, Right, the sequel to 1988's uh, original *Coming to America*, um, which is interesting just off the bat, because what it is is you you find out the things you watched when you were younger, especially if you don't watch them again with the the lens that you have today, they stand out in your memory on on an almost emotional level, and so you remember it differently. But when you sit down and watch it, you know it, you really start to see some things, and that's the original. And by the time you see the sequel, but I'll say this before we delve in the most problematic aspects of the original uh, are in, I mean, of the the sequel are in the original. That's the thing that'll get you a lot of the things that, that one might take issue with, and you're going to hear us get into it tonight. You'll find a lot of it in the original. It's just not something we, you know, most of us saw in, you know, in the eighties because we were young. We just, you know, we just enjoyed the surface of it, right? Um, but I thought we could get into some of the logistics. Man, you said a lot right there. 
man, jump in, man. Tell us what, what's on your mind. <laughs> well, just think about what the first coming to America was. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a movie about a man who didn't want a woman who was prepared to be submissive to him and to, you know, be directed by him. But he mm-hmm. wanted a woman who he was in love with. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the message of the movie. OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not to take away, you know, from uh, the messaging all the way through and through, because, you know, a relationship is not going to be able to sustain itself if you don't care for the individual that you're with. But, the, you know, the idea that, you know, uh, he was looking for a woman who was going to be contentious with him. That's what he sought out. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you, if you look at it in retrospect, you know, uh, it's it's a movie about a man who wants a problematic woman. <laughs> <laughs> And it just so happened this African king can't find a suitable mate where he is. So he has to come get the strong, black, sassy, independent woman in America. <laughs> is it not? Is that not the message, bro? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, oh. I, I, just tell me where I went wrong. Now, now I'm not Look, I'm not trying to be deprecating here. I'm just telling you what the messaging of the movie is. And it, I mean, and, and it was funny to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of valued it at the time uh, because you didn't see a lot of uh, positive presentations of black people or African culture, for, it, for that matter. So we didn't have Wakanda back then. This was well, the first. Well, at least not on screen. Yeah, precisely. This was the first Wakanda, mm-hmm. the pre-Wakanda, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it just you know that's what it is. So, like, spirit. I see what Spirit of Justice. Just yeah, said. I'm, I'm looking Haiti at the same quote. He said, "Haiti sipping." <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much that was dope about the movie because you know Eddie. I think Eddie at the time was firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think, you know, in order to maintain your comedic genius, you have to be on edge. And there's something about a hungry, uh, artist, a hungry comedian at the top of his game, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries and, you know, of, of comedic genius. And I think that he was able to do that in the context of the, uh, the context of this movie. So we started to see him play different characters and, you know, uh, the barbershop scene and, you know, the church scene with uh, Arsenio Hall. All of that was something we hadn't seen before, right, right from right. Eddie. And uh, it, it was genius. Well, and right? we, hadn't, we hadn't seen that in a, in a lot of movies, uh, to be honest with you. There was a lot about coming to America that was, uh, was fresh uh, and new, um, especially at that time. Hell, if you just limited it to some type of African royalty system. How often did you see that? Especially in a context that didn't include like, I don't know, Tarzan or something. You know, <laughs> you, you rarely, rarely saw that. Now, before we delve in, I want to show, so these are the logistics. I want to get these kind of out of the way, right? You have director Craig Brewer. Um, you have, of course, the writers. Eddie is actually in this uh, in this one as far as one of the writers. He wasn't 
necessarily in the original, um, but Barry Blaustein, David Sheffield, these were people that were involved in the first one, in the writing of the first one. Um, and then there are a couple of people that are, that are new to me as well. Justin Canoe, Kenya Barris. I mean, many of us are familiar with Kenya's work, so he's involved in this. Um, and Eddie is directly as well. This was filmed on Tyler uh, Perry's studio um, on, his, on his grounds. Uh, if I'm not incorrect, in the uh, Sydney Portier stage, I guess it's called. Um, so they filmed it there in Atlanta, from what I gather. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, behind the scenes, there's supposed to be some significance to that. Um, and I guess in one sense there is, but nevertheless, uh, it was filmed here in Atlanta at Tyler Perry, Perry Studios, right? Uh, using the original writers for the most part, with a couple of people adding on. And then, uh, you know, you have much of the cast coming back. Now, what I told Gigi I wanted to do was um, kind of talk about, from the beginning anyway, uh, some of the things we liked. See, because I know everybody gets up here and they want to hear you trash stuff because that's fun and I get it. Um, and I figure even beyond trashing, there's a lot to kind of pull apart and analyze. But in the midst of doing that, I figured we could get some of the positives, you know, on the table and then delve in. Um, so it can't be said that we didn't do that. So did you was there anything in here that stood out to you that uh, that you enjoyed? Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to dig through my brain <laughs> and find out, you know, uh, what it is that I did like about it. Um <laughs> I liked uh, I liked the young brother and his uh, unflinching and unwavering uh, willingness to actually be himself. Jermaine, you know, uh, played by Jermaine Fowler, to my Lavelle uh, Johnson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the young brother who uh, was the principal. And, and, and if I have to say it for spoilers, obviously, this whole show is going to be spoilers. My bad. So if you didn't get that and you don't want them, this would be the time to roll. Well, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, at least uh, to some extent, uh, you know, he was willing to, you know, keep his cultural values intact, and to, you know, at least resist against, you know, the pressure of having to become fully enculturated. Oh yeah, uh, and, and to be proud of where he came from, you know. Once he once he was told to, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm encouraged. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. you know, encouraged, I guess. You know, <laughs> but right. I mean, it, but it wasn't just him. You know, uh, I mean, it wasn't just the woman who he ends up, you know, coupling with uh, that encouraged him because you know uh, his uncle, uh, played by uh, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan, yeah, he also, uh, you know, encouraged him to maintain, you know, his own cultural flavor. Uh huh. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I like Tracy Morgan. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I like, I think the cast overall, I, I think was acceptable. Uh, but yeah, I, I just want to say, I just want to say positive things before, well, I, you know. I, well, yeah, the cast was, and that was one of the, that was one of the upsides to the film. The cast was, was really good. Uh, a lot, the I mean, they did a lot of fan service and, and as an original fan, it's hard to not appreciate that. So the, the, the cameos were on point. Yeah. Um, I got to give them that. It's the, uh, many of them were a nice surprise. You know, they were, they were funny. They were well-placed uh, in that sense. 
Um, were there any cameos you wanted to point out that you enjoyed? Oh, you know, the barbershop cameos, oh, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. not, in, in yeah. relation to, you know, just going back to the uh, nostalgia of the original movie and, uh, you know, the, the things they, you know, the, the witty things that they say in the context of the barbershop. Sure. Um, sure. Going to the church where they were about to get married. That was little, that was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> And some of the smaller cameos were funny. I mean, it was it, Louis Anderson. Yeah, I mean, Louis, I mean, McDowell's. You know, yeah, right. And McDowell's. It was it was kind of cool to see him. Even <laughs> John you know, Amos was also great. Man, uh, John was. Man, I, it's hard not to love John if you grew up in the seventies. Because uh, if 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 you watch Good Times in the seventies, you're gonna love John no matter where you see him. So you know. And and, and, and what's funny about it, you know, th- there are spoilers here. So. <laughs> You know, just his seriousness with ridiculousness, like you know, right? Um, right. You know, McDonald's has the McFlurry, but McDonald's has the McFlurry, <laughs> and you know, we don't put our toppings on the top of the McFlurry. Uh, Flurby, ours are at the bottom. You know, <laughs> so it's funny. It was fu- that yeah. was funny. You know, like yeah. some of the things uh, were funny, um, and, and, and that was tied to a lot of the nostalgia. You know, like one, I put it to you: this one of the things that I loved about the first one was when they tied it in with trading places with Duke. Yeah, and, Duke. Yeah. and so they continued that with this one. And I appreciated the little, you know, nods to those little things, you yeah. know, um, you know, so that was, and that was a hilarious little scene, right. With Duke and Duke being represented in this new generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, so those little things get to me. Um, um, I gotta say the, um, the clothes, the, the wardrobe, they were done well. Ruth Carter, you know, she did Black Panther. Uh, she did this, a lot of African-inspired aesthetics. Um, you know, I thought she did well. I mean, that was the first time I'd ever seen, um, uh, what's her name, Leslie Jones actually look presentable was was uh, in some of the outfits that Ruth Carter put her in. So I dug the aesthetic. I dug the, the way the wardrobes were put together. Um, you know, anything else from you? <laughs> Oh yeah, the the musical stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight, yeah. Uh, the the new in vogue. Because <laughs> I'm still waiting for the, the original lead singer. You know, uh, you know, because she was she was uh was she, she was hot, bro. She was, was hot, she- bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm still looking for. Uh, you know, I don't know what she looks like now, but back then she was the deal. She she also I played mean- the movie Juice, so. Right, uh, right, right, um, right. Who, Damn, she did play in that. Woo. Anyway, Salt and Pepper, you know, making an appearance. And, and look, uh, a lot has been said about how you know black men don't uh, respect women, especially in hip hop. But like, women have been in hip hop mm-hmm. at least since the you know late to mid eighties. You know, I, I used to dig oh. Roxanne Shante. I, I used to like Salt and Pepper, man. You know, well, sequence. They were they were there. In man, the funky right on up, boy. That was damn. the damn. You know, you know uh, MC Light, yeah. Queen Latifah. In fact, I remember the first record she put out. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they've been there. Yeah. So yeah, Gladys Knight killed it. I'm gonna tell you one of the things I actually liked was Morgan Freeman, and and it wasn't just that he was there; it was that he was there with James Earl Jones. Right. And those right, two right. men in the same scene. You're talking about two of the best voice actors in the history of voice acting, as far as I'm concerned. The only one they were missing was my my man, Keith David. But to have Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones in the same scene 
was, you know, I, I, I dug that moment, you know, just being able to see that. Cause I'd never seen them on the screen together. Yeah. 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 I'm about to say something negative. So let me not do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he holding them back at the gates. One. Yeah. Yeah. Hold, let me, let me stop right now. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So we, <laughs> yeah, but, 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 Oh yeah, I was about to say something negative. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Fuck it. Go ahead, man. Delve in. <laughs> I'm gonna give you the first bite, man. <laughs> no, I, even though I like the I like the wardrobes, um, uh-huh. and uh, you know I like the cameos. Uh, I like the tie-in to you know the old movie and the you know interconnection between right. uh, trading places and coming to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was something cinematic photography wise about it that I just didn't like. For some mm. reason it, it it seemed like a cheap musical. Okay. You um, the, the dance scenes or is there something in particular? I I, I just cinematography wise, just the way it looked, uh especially, you know, during the funeral, it just mm. looked too okay. much. Uh okay. like a uh like a, a juke joint. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm you know it just okay. it, it it just looked like a, a, a cheap Broadway musical. And, and perhaps it's, uh, you know, I didn't like the lighting, but but that's okay. all technical stuff. That's just me. Right. You uh, know, the la- well, I, I will say this. The last thing I did, I was surprised by uh, in, a, in a good way was uh, when they went, they kind of added on film footage from the original 80s film. Like when they were in the club in the 80s and then you saw them kind of add to that and then put Leslie Jones in there. Um you know, it, it it looked a little strange cinematography wise, but it was it was something I didn't expect. But yeah. uh, the, it, I mean, look, getting into it, man. The you know me, the biggest problem I had was was all of the feminism, all the guy the the gynocentrism in the film, and we might as well get to the to the elephant in the room because that for me, and I think for a lot of my listeners, a lot of your listeners, that was the biggest thing, and most of us saw it. Uh, in the first full trailer, like they had a teaser first and it, it tapped into your nostalgia. So most of us were like, damn, this is finally happening because it's been in the wings for so long. Everybody got used to hearing they may do another one. They may do another one. And it was like, OK, cool. And then you finally saw the teaser and it was it, it choked. You got choked up, you know, with nostalgia. But then they put out the first full trailer and you saw it right then and there. The elder daughter, uh, you know, Mika who was is getting passed over for the throne because of you know the, the chauvinism of what the mundan culture <laughs> what is it man 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 the mundan culture right you know go ahead man man uh, you know you could tell it was going to be a problem when it first came on so uh, you know the, the the initial scenes were like waking up in zamunda you know mm-hmm. so all the kids come in and then you got the oldest daughter who's looking mean and aggressive, you know, uh, all damn movie. I mean, like, come on, man. Like even that's, that's even guys that's practicing looking hard. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. what's what's with all this, man? You know, like in in other words, she's militant, you know, more manly than a man. Oh yeah. Uh, And you were right. Militant. They were trying to tap in to some of that BLM, you know, aesthetic. Matter of fact, there was a portion of the movie. She had democracy as an armband on her in her outfit so they were trying to tap into this zeitgeist we've seen especially since you know from 2015 onward 
with the rise of BLM, but especially last year where on time, the cover of time.com, you're seeing black women made out to be the sacrificial, you know, figures for America's, you know, uh, moral redemption, right? So they're tapping into that with her. And, and she's so serious because she represents that moral redemption that we all need. And apparently Zamunda needs, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they, they which is ridiculous. The first thing that kind of was off-putting to me, I was like, damn. His children wake him up in the bedroom along with servants and all of this kind of stuff. I'm like, man, come on, man. Like, what? What if they getting it in? You know, like y'all coming into the bedroom. Like, what is this, man? It's their anniversary today. Okay, all right. Well, um, so then immediately after that, what I recall is a fight scene between Hakeem. Isn't he the prince? Prince Hakeem. Hakeem, Prince Hakeem. Or he was prince at that moment. Yeah. And his daughters. Uh huh. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, come on. Okay, so you you fighting your three daughters. Uh-huh. And they whip your ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, you know, yeah. that's where you want to go with this, man. You know, that's what I knew at that point. You know, you ever heard, you ever see those videos where it says, it was then that he knew. <laughs> it was at this point that he knew. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time in a physical confrontation in a film you saw a man beat a woman? Can man. you remember one in recent years? In year, I mean, you tell me. I mean, as soon as the scene started and I saw him standing there with the stick, you know, I was like, okay, you're going back to this. They did this in the first one, him and Simi, and then they showed his daughter, and I said, oh, shit, here we go. Man, this is why I said I made a video about this, man. Okay. Uh, it was about, you know, strong and something and calling the po- oh kicking ass taking names and calling the police <laughs> so you know just a strange mix of women being strong independent and you know uh in need of protection all at the same time what, what do they call it fierce that's uh-huh. that's the what i think that encapsulates the attitude this is fierceness right. coming at you right. uh but if you if you meet fierceness where it stands, then then fierceness calls the police. <laughs> it calls the police. Man, look, I don't have time to play games, bruh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the, rea- the reality is, when I saw it, I knew where it was going. And, and I knew, how many battles do men have to lose against women on screen in order to make women feel good that, you know, they, they are fierce? <sighs> Like women have value, yes they do, but you know on average, can a woman best a man in a physical challenge? Most often not. Okay, so you know to see that played out again, it's a hackney and trite trope, mm-hmm. and you know this is this is why I've been doing this fire and line debate because here's one of the moments where you have excessiveness and silliness being presented as justice right and i I just don't know what to say about it but uh other than you know it's unrealistic and it doesn't have to be done in order to prove the value and the worth of women it just it it's fantastic right and men and men being forced to see this repetitively 
is a is is a smack in the face about the real material conditions of life between men and women. Well, and this is why, like my boy Quadro is in the comments, and he's saying we're being too serious about a farcical comedy. We're, we're, it's not about the comedy, you know. And I know you know you understand this well, Quadro. It's about the propaganda, and and what Gigi just said is important. It's it's if this were a one time occurrence, it'd be like you know, okay, it's part of the story. But it's not a one time occurrence. It's a repetitive thing. We see this consistently and continually to the degree that most of us would have a hard time remembering a scene where you actually saw a man beat a woman in a, in a physical or intellectual competition of some sort. Right. That's why I said the moment you saw the scene begin, you already knew how it was going to end. I did. I was not surprised in the slightest. That he, whether it was one daughter or three, we knew he was going to lose to that confrontation. But here's, but here's the deal. In these, the only other time that you see women being beat by men is in a situation in which it's being called out as oppressive. Exactly. But there could be no fair exchanges, you know, a physical contest between men and women, period. So when you see it, it is, you know, it's to make a political point. Right. It's, it's, It's being used in order to make uh, you know, a, a, a political argument, but pictorially or graphically. But, but see, I go where I go with it is, it, you know, there was a time where it was it was, you know, they tried to articulate it as we need to show women's strength. Right. To get away from the damsel in distress motif. But I think now we've moved in. We've transitioned transition probably in the last 15 years into a female superiority trope. So it isn't just that. She's strong. Like if you go back to the early Aliens movie, Halloween, you know, looking at Ripley and Jamie Lee Curtis, those were films where you saw, okay, women being able to step up and and rescue themselves, step up and be competent in dangerous situations. This is not that. This is female chauvinism. This is female superiority at every turn. And men constantly tipping their hat in, you know, in awe of female superiority. Because the thing I had a problem with most of this film, like many others, most of the women were strong, capable leaders. Most of the men were buffoons and idiots. And it doesn't even have to be a comedy for that to happen. It really doesn't. Clearly coming to America is, but the trope that it's addressing as far as male-female dynamics doesn't require the film to be a, a comedy for that dynamic to be in place. But but the reason that it was done was to demonstrate later on her competency uh, as a ruler of Zamunda. And it was a foreshadowing of something to come later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you want to go in sequential order. I think it probably would be best to do so. But I mean, uh-huh. you know, I'll, I'll yeah, uh, take your lead on this. No, we can go. We can do that. Um, you know, uh, let's see. So we, we we start out now, first of all. Unlike Wakanda, Zamunda, from what it looks like, was at one point in time colonized by the British, right? So you can see elements of that in both films. Um, but, you know, now I did look up something that I thought might be interesting just to kind of put on the table. Um, uh, now, Wesley Snipes plays General Izzy, right? Or Easy. They kind of pronounced it both ways at different points. Um, apparently, his father was played by Calvin Lockhart in the first one. And he was Colonel Izzy. Um, 
So it, it, there's a nice little continuation there of, 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 of strong black male actors whom I respect playing in that line. But um, I'll let you kind of, you know, jump in as far as the early part of the film. Is there anything you want to pull out? So we were talking around, you know, the point where Akeem is beaten by his three daughters. I, anything around there you want to pull out? Well, especially about Snipes, the first, you know, encounter with between him and uh, Hakeem or Eddie Murphy, uh, Snipes and, you know, uh, Murphy on screen. Mm-hmm. First of all, he comes in like a jive ass, you know, like pimp walking, you know, being mm-hmm. a boom. I, I'm mm-hmm. like, come on, man. Like, why is this necessary? I, I was off put at that point, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I thought to myself, like, why is Wesley Snipes, this caliber of actor, playing this role in this manner? And, and mm-hmm. who who directed this? Who who put that into a screenplay? Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, you know, it was, uh, you know, indicative of how uh, overcompensatory uh, black men are, especially black men trying to be, you know, uh, controlling and dominating and they overcompensate with jive. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was what was, you know, trying to be articulated there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that all of the hip swagger and, you know, the pimping and all of that is really just to cover up uh, toxicity. Or, uh, you know, a lack of competency. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what that was about. And then also his son, you know, uh, the light skinned dude uh, that played in, I forget what movie he played in. uh, Oh, he was in Power. Um, Yeah, yeah, the the light skinned guy with the dreads. mm -hmm. uh, um, He's a singer as well. I can't. can't... Now, I didn't know he was a singer, but I know who you're talking about. Um, I'm trying to find his name um, while we're up here. But you you continue, and I'm going to pull up the cast uh, while you while you you know. Yeah, ahead. but he was a big you know uh, big softball you know uh, scared of his own shadow, uh, looking to marry into the kingdom. Uh, so you know, Snipes is trying to get this arranged marriage uh, structure or deal going on, and uh, I. I guess him and his daughters weren't having any of it. And of course, Eddie didn't want to do this or Hakeem didn't want to do that because he didn't want uh, Eze to have control of uh, the kingdom. So, mm-hmm. um, Right, because he represents a, a neighboring country that's been trying to assassinate the kings and, and Zamunda and and, uh, and now they're threatening to do so with uh, Hakeem, right? Correct. So, yeah. Right. And, and, and you know, the lamentations about him not having a male heir. And then you go to James Earl Jones, who represents the patriarch. You know, uh, oh, you talking about here? Here he is. You talk. You were talking about Rotimi. Yeah, Rotimi. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's a singer as well. Uh, got a single out there, I think. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so uh, I just thought it was. Uh, they made him look like a buffoon, man. I mean, if if you're gonna. But I know it's a comedy, but that's just too much, man. I, you know, I, it wasn't it wasn't done in good taste. I, that could have been left out. That wasn't necessary. But mm-hmm. I think the overall point, though, was to make him look like a buffoon, which is, you know, to discuss the ways in which black men look b- like buffoons when they walk. But, you know, because white white men walk differently than black men. You know, you, you know what it is. You in the hood, you walking, you got to walk with a certain bop. Or you'll be perceived as prey. Okay. Okay. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. You got to walk with a certain swagger and a certain level of confidence, or it could prove, you know, 
deadly. So, right. um, you know, to kind of characterize that as a buffoonery, I thought, you know, it just rubbed well, me the wrong way. And you see, now, adding to that, looking at that, those particular uh, characters and what they're supposed to represent, uh, one of the things I noticed is you had the appearance of two patriarchies, right? In both countries. But it was interesting because uh, even since the first movie, you know, you have Zamunda, you know, kind of leaning to a shift in that. And of course, the, you know, Izzy's country represents this kind of unapologetic patriarchy. This is something I saw in the last Star Wars tril- trilogy where they kind of they kind of positioned a patriarchy versus a matriarchy. If you go back and watch that, you know, uh, you'll see all of the, you know, all the negative aspects of the, of the, the, the order were masculine and, 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 you know, on the Jedi side of it, all of it was female run. There's a little bit of that here, but it's supposed to be both countries are patriarchal. It's just Zamunda is kind of leaning towards this, this major shift. Right. And that's kind of supposed to be the dynamic. So here you have uh, this general warmonger who represents this masculine tradition. And they imply that the people are impoverished and they've needed help for years. And he and his, his his crew of what they allude to later, child soldiers, right, are just abusing power. And even though Zamunda is supposed to be a patriarchy, his his willingness to listen to women and engage them suggests that it's more, um, you know, uh, what, do you, what would you call it? Uh, not just mature, more evolved, right? Progressive. It's progressive. Thank you. Right. There's So you have these kind of teaming groups against each other on the basis of that. And that's what they what symbolized in that moment where, uh, you know, you see them engage each other and, and Izzy threatens, uh, you know, Akeem a few times and Akeem is just kind of quiet and resolved and re- or I should say reserved. And so you have this implication. And I saw this, too, in, in Black Panther film. You know, if you if you remember, you know, going back to uh, the, the guerrilla society in the mountains, the implication is that they were all patriarchs. Matter of fact, you didn't even see any of their women. But in the black in, in you know, in uh, Wakanda, it, that was pretty much a matriarchy outside of the fact that you had a male king. But on every other level, much like a church, a black church, everything was run by women. Right. And, the, and it seemed like the competing cultural differences between just the two of them were matriarchy versus patriarchy. Right. But yeah. So yep. those are kind of some of the things I kind of saw in that in that that exchange. And they called it next Doria. Man, that's so stupid, dude. Like, I mean, come on, Doria. man. Next Doria. <laughs> man. Uh, man. But, you know, the daughters were perfect and brilliant and well-spoken and reserved and mature. And the males they were, were all... Every know. woman besides Leslie yes. was perfect. Yes. Yes. And even she was perfect in her imperfections <laughs> uh you know what i mean because in the end i mean they humanized her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now you don't want to go to like what i'm thinking about like what happens later on now if you want to go sequentially we can well, but i'm just saying it. This, I'm, we, we can be organic go ahead and roll with it what you feel eddie finds out he has a son because mm-hmm. uh arsenio uh Femi, I guess is what they, what they call uh, Semi, yeah. Semi, mm-hmm. Semi, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So he's like, remember that night we went to the club and uh, blah 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 blah. He uh, and then they show Leslie, you know, uh, getting Eddie drunk, 
and or they she she blew smoke in his face. She blew smoke in his face, got him high, mm-hmm. and had sex with him when he was passed out mm-hmm. or unconscious. Okay, well, he was he was he was awake, but he wasn't he wasn't. It was basically it was without his consent, right? Yeah. He, so he was, so, so basically, she man. she she raped the dude, man. Exactly. Exactly. She raped the guy, exactly. and this is perceived as a joke. Yes. So in the context, like this is this is yes. like they're trying to let you know that male, female aggression is okay. Yeah, it's funny. It's 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 hilarious. Yeah. And you know, I'm that shit ain't funny, man. You know what was it, it was interesting about it is not only is female aggression funny, female sexual aggression is apparently uh, a man's fault. Right? Female rape is funny, man. Well, but look, it's it, but it was ultimately Akeem's fault, according to everyone else in his life, his wife, his kid. Everybody was upset. I mean, look, man, picture this. Picture this. What if it was his wife that had gotten raped at some point, and you know, in in an argument, right? He's upset with her for having gotten raped. I mean, that's essentially what happened. Akeem was the one that actually got violated, and everybody was upset with him. Well, it was before you, though. And it was before you met me. So I guess that's okay. You know, like, all right, all right, well, you know. I, <laughs> but, I know it's okay, motherfucker. <laughs> I ain't know you. I mean, like, what? But, you what know, uh, but I yeah. mean, the whole, the whole, you know, uh, you know, comedic uh, turn about him being seduced, if you want to call that, raped mm-hmm. by Leslie, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's bullshit, man. This is the double standard. This is like blatant disrespect. Right. But they don't want that done. Like, if, if we make a movie about a woman getting raped and laugh at it. Exactly. <laughs> Tag exactly. team, it was funny. We we, yeah. we make it comedic. Yeah. I think we need to do that shit to show them what it looks like. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, because it, it, it's it's ridiculous. You know? Uh, but nobody commiserates with men. Because men can't be raped. They can't be sexually violated or assaulted. It's just funny. And and it's not even just one time. Like, she chides him throughout the film. You know, at one point, he walks in their bedroom, and she's like, you sure you got the right room? And it was all because of this, you know, this whole incident that had happened with him getting raped before. But I'm like, really? Y'all are going to continue to chide him? It, it, this, I mean, look, it was it was bad enough for me when I saw this shit happen to Batman anybody been watching any of the animated DC movies that have been coming out, you know, they, people smooth skip over it, but Batman has a son named Damien. But when you find out the story, it was much like this. He, he was, he was, he was drugged. He was taken while he was out of it. And you know, she brings a son, a grown son to him years later. And I'm saying, I'm watching this and I'm like, did anybody just smooth, you know, remember the fact that this man just got raped and nobody said a word about it. So we get to coming to America and all of us knew the story was going to be about a lost son. But we were trying to figure out, you know, Akeem's character was never the type to really roll like that. So how are they going to play this off? And they play it off with rape. And he's so high the way he describes it. He describes it as a it was a what do you say? A boar broke into the room and was ramming him because <laughs> he was high. And it turned out to be her. Right. And I'm just like. There's all kind of horrible the way they're presenting this, but this whole question yeah, that of shit is a tragedy, bro. Be vulnerable that's, is ridiculous. That's a tragedy, man. It's mm-hmm. a tragedy. 
it's the it's the dehuman. It, first of all, if you're gonna make a movie about, I mean, at least if you're gonna make a tasteful movie about mm-hmm. patriarchy, don't put a rape scene in it <laughs> where a man is getting raped. At least be cognizant enough to know that 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 kind of comedy should not be put in that kind of messaging box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you just can't. It just, but it just goes to show you how aloof these people are, right? And how non-empathic they are with men. They just don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. They'll put it in plain view, so nobody's mm-hmm. supposed to say anything about this. But I, I, I guarantee you, none of these feminists are going to come out and say how horrible that was. No, no, no. It, I it, guarantee you, they are not. But, but I haven't seen any of them say anything about it at all. But I, they know yeah. if they had to cringe when they saw that. But this, but I think you just hit something on the head. The two responses that I see most are either laughter or obliviousness. Like it's it's just it's not it either is not worthy of mention or it's it's funny, right? Yeah. Which just reinforces the idea that men can't be raped. And y'all know from the show I did about a month ago, going through the numbers, um, you know, when you factor in incarceration. Men actually have been getting black men in particular raped more often than women. When you add in the FBI's new definition of rape post 2012, when you look at made to penetrate, these are categories that had to be created to explain men's experience with sexual assault and rape because the the, the previous categories only dealt with women's. So when you actually accounted for men, they had to create a new category to explain what was happening with men. And we found that the numbers were fairly astronomical. But, you know, so we get to this moment where there's an opportunity to put that on the table to really be looked at. And it's a joke. And not only that, in the end. The baby mamas <laughs> become best friends. Oh, man. They become a spoon coons, which, you know, so they, that, become, they become besties. So help me know? with that. So help me with that. So that would be like if Lisa, right, the queen was raped. And Akeem was hanging with the dude that raped her and then coming back to his wife, chiding her for having been raped. That makes sense to you? Man, no, it don't make sense to me. It's, you can't make it make sense. I was just trying to figure it but, out. But we, li- but we live in a culture where everything is equitable. We're, we're trying to reach parity. That's I mean, I don't look, man. I'm not I'm not here to pull punches, man. I just tell it I call it how I see it. And I've been like a lot of people think that I've recently become like this. But you know, I've I've always been critical, you know, of of these positions. Uh even like I've taken feminist courses mm-hmm. um, you know, as a as a graduate student. And and they were electives. I didn't have to take them. Right. Um, right. but you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm being charitable. I'm not, you know, I'm not coming into this with a preconceived notion that, you know, this is just women seeking for power. I'm coming here, you know, being open minded and orientated towards justice. These are my thoughts. This is what I'm thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think that women um, you know, uh, are wrong to argue against the kind of conditions that they were existing in prior to their ability to be able to enter the market and to be able to sign contracts on their own. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's terrible, like for a woman to have to ask her husband, can I please, you know, go, go, go shopping today. (laughs) You know, I'm just saying like, even, you know, yeah. So Gigi is saying, okay, that that's putting somebody in a childlike position to where they can't, you know, enter the market on their own. They can't even, you know, like sign a contract on their own. So if she wants a car, she has to ask her father or husband or brother to get it for. That's putting somebody in a childlike position. Okay. But when you take it a step further, (laughs) that's when it becomes problematic. You know, uh, so they're pushing for more and more and more. They're, They're going beyond the realm of good taste. But it's men that are not saying anything and men who are participating in this. And it, it's Eddie Murphy is in collusion with this, and all of the writers and directors are in collusion with this. It's just be, it's going beyond the realm of good taste. But but even the parodies are, are look. So there's a, there's a scene when Akeem comes back to Queens to find his son, and the first place he stops is the barbershop, of course. I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene in there where the the old men are regretting not being able to grab and harass women anymore. And they're all kind of laughing and joking about how they got it in when they were young and and lamenting that it can't happen anymore. And there's this kind of idea that somehow men just sit around smoking cigars, you know, pining away for the days when they could rape, pillage. And and I'm just like, what what exactly is this coming from? Right. It's it's, to me, it's a ridiculous kind of parody that, that, you know, that really roots itself in this idea of toxic masculinity. And somehow everybody's toxic, you know, as long as they get a chance to be right. Um, and so anyway, that that those are the kind of things that stuck out for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was. It was BS, man. This is they're they're basically articulating the idea that this is the natural state of men. Right. Right. The natural state of men is to violate women at every turn. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when a woman violates a man, anymore. it's not it's non problematic. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's just desserts. Maybe mm-hmm. this is, you know, payback for the, you know, women being so-called sexually violated. Even mm-hmm. though women so- violate young boys all the time. Wait, 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 wait. We're not, we're not allowed to talk about that. Oh shit, we can't. Come on, come on, Gigi. We're not allowed to talk about that. Man, we, I can't. Rape only happens one way. Remember, men, men and boys don't. Uh, you, you, you're gonna get a slap on the hand. You're, you're, man, the, man, I remember like being a young boy. And going to a drive-in theater, and a girl who was like four years older than me was trying to touch, you know, touch my privates. <laughs> and you know, I hadn't really actually had a sexual exchange before, so I didn't know what to expect. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, she was much older than I was, but like these things happen, man. Well, you know, it- we act like they do not happen. But if you go to Tommy Curry's work with uh, uh, Ebony Utley, the the paper they did together uh, called She Touched Me, they actually show you that black boys' sexual debut is much earlier than black girls. And most of the time it's initiated by older girls and women. So boys are actually violated, you know, underage, you know, quite a bit. And the degree to which we don't talk about it allows it to continue unabated as if it's normal. Matter of fact, we treat it like a rites of passage, even though the data suggests that boys feel just as violated as girls, but they don't have the social structures to actually reinforce the fact that they've been mistreated. 
we don't talk about that. They're, they're not treated as such. And so that trauma goes on unsupported. Right. Yeah. So then you have films like this that gets everybody's attention. And, and there are these kind of dismissals about what men and boys experience in a certain way. And it's problematic. Now, the other thing that happened uh, not long after that scene is when they finally find Lavelle, you know, uh, Akeem's son and Mary, his mother. They come into the house to meet everybody. And one of the interesting thing moments I thought of was, you know, one, I didn't understand why they didn't have a DNA test at any point. But, yeah, that's yeah. But beyond that, the mother, Leslie Jones, playing Mary, she didn't it never crossed her mind that Akeem was could have been his father. Matter she remembered Akeem, but when he mentioned being the father, she looked shocked. And then she was like, Oh, uh, oh yeah because they dropped the case full of cash. You know what I mean? So there was this interesting kind of moment where the way they kind of depicted it, you know. Um, yeah, because she was, of course, banging a whole bunch of guys at the time. Which she described herself as doing, right? And even raping them. So, you know, blowing weed in their face and doping them up and taking the D. Cardi B style, right. <laughs> she taking the D. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, uh, Again, yeah. yeah, and this is promoted as liberating, right? You know, uh, you know, for women to be uh, involved in um, a whole host of dalliances, or, or engaged in what Walter Williams would construe as slovenly behavior. But I mean, think about this, uh, and I just propose this to you, right? Uh, so we all know, uh, and I think that you mentioned this earlier as well, that a writer for Cosmopolitan came out and. Made a statement about how, you know, women's liberation was conjoined uh, to sexual liberation uh, unnaturally. It was it was a scheme because they were different, you know, uh, kinds of uh, movements, right? So so the the hippies' sexual revolution meets mm -hmm. women's uh, rights movements, and then they conjoined the two artificially. Okay. Um, but think about this. Cosmo just basically started fabricating articles to try to promote to women that, you know, they should behave like men. Like they should have as many sexual en encounters as they want. Uh, they should be engaged in career, uh, uh, careerism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that men were like, just like how men characterize women. And, mm -hmm. and but think about this, man, playboy, Hugh Hefner, is responsible for creating the Playboy image, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, like having a whole bunch of women, and uh, you know having a whole bunch of young women at that, right? Just you know sexing a whole bunch of different people, uh, young girls or whatever, and uh, you know have them walk around you scantily clad and so on and so forth. But prior to Playboy, you you didn't see this kind of behavior put out there by men. Mm -hmm. Hugh Hefner is the creator of that imagery and iconography of the Playboy. Mm. And they did that to sell money. I mean, to sell products, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they did it to sell cigarettes, alcohol, and cars. Mm. Right. And the, they did the same thing with Cosmopolitan. Nails, makeup, perfume, and clothing, yep. bro. Mm -hmm. You're a customer, man. You're not, you're not actually being liberated. You're a customer. Right. They were, they were selling a lifestyle. Right? In order to sell products. Absolutely. And Absolutely. people don't get this, you know, but, and 
by the time you figure out how, the inception of the lifestyle, you begin to make excuses for it. Mm -hmm. But prior to that time, think about it this way. No birth control. Uh, not very uh, sophisticated prophylactics. You get a young girl pregnant, man, in the 50s, you about to wife up, bro. Right, right. <laughs> Your family going to be like, um, sir, you just, you got my daughter pregnant, shotgun wedding. We about mm. to get it on and popping up in here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this whole idea that men were just out just screwing everybody, it could be the case, but there's consequences associated with that. There you know, always you don't, consequences, yeah. You don't just get to go do that. Mm -hmm. So, but once the sexual revolution hit, uh, you know, the, the sexual norms kind of just changed. And so now, you know, men, you know, act like it's a big thing to go around just sexing as many women as possible. But it it, it was, not, first of all, it wasn't possible before the advent of all of this birth control technology. Uh -huh. and, 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 and second of all, uh, if you did do it, you was you were going to be responsible for that, and women weren't as loose as they are now. Mm. I'm not yeah. saying they weren't loose. To, there weren't some loose women. Can't say that. All right, but not as they are now. Okay, post sexual revolution and all of that. Right, right, right. So um, anyway, man, people just got to understand that these people are trying to sell products. Man, this is you know right. these lifestyle. Uh, uh, you know, well, it, these lifestyle promotions are really actually promotions for your dollars. And it's still it's definitely still the case, uh, which I think was the, the the turnaround with Eddie Murphy, because Murphy back in the 80s, um, he was he was willing to speak for black men in a way that we, we probably hadn't seen since prior in a certain kind of sense. You know, it was it was really raw where you really had the first kind of mention of divorce and the way divorce impacts men differently than women. You know, when he brought up Johnny Carson, I think losing a hundred million in a divorce to a woman that hadn't told a joke. I mean, that was a moment. You know, if we talk about men's rights, Eddie Murphy raw, that was the first kind of introduction to the problems with that for men. Because yeah, yeah. it can affect somebody who's a multimillionaire. Then what does it do to a guy that makes 20,000 a year or 30? Right. And, and, and just the, the, the impact of no fault divorce and, and child court rulings or it's, uh, family court rulings on behalf of women. Eddie was one of the people that kicked that discussion into gear. So to see him come out years later in this kind of gynocentric manner was a problem, you know. Um, but going back, going back to the film. Right. Yeah. Uh, gotta stick to the script. Yeah. Well, you know, look, so they go back to they go back to Zamunda. Right. And. One of the scenes that got to me was when they wake up the first morning and you, you know, you can, you can go earlier if you want, you know, but I'm just saying the one that came to mind is they wake up the, the first morning there. And of course, uh, Lavelle gets woken up by the bathers and whatnot. And the first thing he goes to do is go ask his mother <laughs> for direct. Yeah. Meanwhile, as she's bathing there, you know, with the first, with the first male bather we see, you know, doing, performing oral sex on her underwater right she has to tell him it's okay so he, he has to go to have sex he didn't know he didn't know whether or not he should right he, had he to needed his mama to give him permission to go screw you see what i'm saying you see where i'm mommy, going can i get some right Boy, you better go get you some 
you know, so, this is an African tradition over here. And so, you know, right. they're going to royally bathe you. You better get bathed, boy. Exactly. Exactly. And she's telling him this while she's being serviced, right? You know, it. So I'm watching this. I'm like, so he's so he's a mama's boy to the point where he doesn't even know if he can have sex without his mother's permission. Interesting. Man, you better stop it. I'm, make it, you better so, stop it, man. Make it make sense to me, man. I'm just hey, trying, hey, I'm hey, trying team, to get bro. it. Come team, on, man. this doesn't make any sense. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you Talib. T bro. T. Make it make sense, bro. Man, it don't yeah. make sense. It don't make it does not make sense, man. But actually, what that is is that's whoring out your son. Mm. She there for the cash, bro. Mm. When she saw that cash hit the floor when uh Eddie came into that project, Everything changed. So now you whoring out your son for that money. Well, you gonna that, get that lifestyle. You gonna get his buy-in, you know. Hey, so that was definitely one of the things that got my attention. Uh and then, of course, you know, Akeem is kind of horning him out in his own way uh, in terms of Izzy's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to, uh, you know, use the boy to, to basically kind of handle his problems with the neighboring country, all the while ignoring his daughter who's waiting in the wings to be the, the be the, Zamunda's first queen, right? And he's but, denying her all of this. Man, but the funny thing about this is, okay, so the daughter... The first in line, the oldest one, the the the, the, the very masculine uh, uh, matron, mm-hmm. uh, the the very competent young lady who uh, is the rightful, uh, although patriarchally uh, patriarchally uh, the wrong one. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's gracious enough at some point to help the young prince. Right after being hostile toward him most of the time, yeah. right. So that to me is indicative of the graciousness, <laughs> right, of black women. How right. gracious they are! Right. How they'll still help you, even though you are a total patriarchal ass. Mm-hmm. They're still willing to help you and serve the, you know, what is directly contrasting to their own interest because that's mm-hmm. just you know that's just how good they are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know they're willing they're willing to help you even though you don't deserve it well because they're they're faultless and they're they're above critique i mean what what kind of critique can you bring to bear and have it be heard especially in the black community as far as the behavior of black women is there a space for that no i mean i think i think the way kevin samuels has asked the question is is who can critique you when he's talking to black women, because really the only other people allowed to critique black women are black women. And that's it, man. They better but stop. Black that. men can be critiqued and handheld and cajoled and outright cussed out, you know, and that's acceptable. But to critique black women is tantamount to, you know, sacrilegiousness. It, it, it's, it's considered uh, And matter of fact, it, we even saw it in the film, right? There's a point, where Eddie Murphy tells his wife, or Akeem tells his wife, you know, something about the quiet, you know, watch your tongue. And, you know, and, and she gets up like, how dare you? Meanwhile, the woman just called him a bitch. Let me, let me just say this. Like, a lot of people don't like this, man, but look, the very idea that you can't critique women because of previous injustices related to women, that's old, bruh. 
Like that's 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 anachronistic. That's gone. That's mm-hmm. over with. Like it, as long as men understand that that's done, you can't ask for equality socially and politically and don't have the attendant responsibilities associated with it. Now, you know, the the notion that women are above criticism and reproach again is the throwback to Victorian England and their patriarchal conception of womanhood to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right? Which and, is acceptable to today's progressive feminists as long as it operates on their terms. But please continue. Yeah, that, but but see that's duplicitous. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that notion of womanhood is dead. I, it, I personally want to take a shotgun and shoot it. That's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't get to assume that you're morally virtuous more so than other persons just in virtue of your birth. That, mm-hmm. Because that's just how you are. You're, you're just innately more virtuous than, than a man is. Like That's absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, you want social and political equality. You don't want to be treated any differently. But that's not mm-hmm. the case. You want all of the benefits of manhood, all of the privileges of womanhood, and the responsibilities associated with neither. That's right. what you want. And you can't have it that way. And this is why that fire in line debate is so important, because these women who started second wave feminism are aware of this. They know the inherent contradictions in mm-hmm. this. This is why I'm showing this, right. to point out and draw out. But they deflect a lot. Even, mm-hmm. even when the question is posed, they talk about the relative merits of the movement and how it enabled women to be able to enjoy activities of life that they hadn't been able to before. But mm-hmm. they don't actually sit and talk about us accepting passing about what is silly or diversionary or neurotic about it. And at wow. some point, somebody has to, to have this conversation, mm-hmm. but nobody's willing to have the conversation because the default position is, OK, we got to fall back to Victorian womanhood when women were above reproach. But there was a reason for that. And I think at some point I need to do a show on that because women were considered to be more morally virtuous than men because they were the I mean, the embodiment of the domestic sphere. OK. Mm-hmm. And. uh Men went out and did dirty things in the world where women stayed in the home and they were pure and chaste and virtuous. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were men's better half. And, and look, we know what these men had been engaged in. They were they were engaged in acts of colonialism. They were the ones out actually raping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, li- literally. Raping and pillaging the planet, growing their coffers. Right. And uh, so, you know, but to put all men in this category, to me, is absolutely unconscionable, but it's done routinely. But the extent to which, you know, any group of women want to fall back on this notion of pure womanhood, you got to kill that. They have to they actually have killed it. They just don't want to see it die all the way. (laughs) No, not as long as it it can be used at whim. That's a zombie right there. That is a, a golem. <laughs> that notion of womanhood is is like literally the walking dead. <laughs> you can use it, but it, it has no real life in it. It's mm-hmm. a fiction to begin with, right? And so uh, that that they have to destroy that. But they not they're go- like you said they're going to hold on to it. But you're holding on to a ghost. 
Mm-hmm. So, hey. Right. Okay. So, let me see. Now, let me see. Okay, I thought the sound went out for a second. Okay, we're good. All right. So, from there, um, let's see. I'm trying to remember what, what was what some of the other things that hit me as far as that area. Okay. No, I'm still, I'm look, I'm still stuck on the queen, you know, not only calling Akeem a bitch Ooh, boy. and kicking him out of his own and kicking him out of the room. Yeah, man. And, and now remember the basic reason she's frustrated even before this idea of her daughter not being able to be queen is that he has sex with another woman. So that was the initial part where she's still chiding him about that. Then she mixes it with him not allowing his daughter to become the next queen and then kicks him out of the room. And I'm just looking at this like, you know. He should have told her as my body, my choice. But, oh, he, oh, I forgot. He didn't have a choice. <laughs> hey, look, I'm telling you, right? All you got to do is throw back the same rhetoric that they push at you. That's why I want guys to know what the rhetoric is. What the rhetoric is. Absolutely. So you can use it. Absolutely. You got to play judo. You got to do the, you got to play Jedi mind tricks. Oh, I forgot the Jedi is taken over by, uh, that, right. The matriarchs. I forgot. So you can't really even go there, but, um, you know, so that I'm still, so I'm, you know, I'm still stuck on that mess, you know, because it was, it was acceptable. Right. So you had that happen, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. And then the next time you see them together, he, he, Puts out, he has an orchestra outside of the room where they're playing the music they first went on their first date with as an apology that he's kind of extending to her. Appreciate oh, that's that. how I go. Man, come on. We already know how this goes, man. That's the passive aggressive abuse that a lot of men have to endure. And, uh, you know, uh, in the context of their intimate relationships. And so it's like a guilting and shaming technique when women get mad at you. You gotta leave the house. I want you out. And all this kind of stuff. You gotta sleep on the couch. You you you've seen this, man. You know? I, well, let me see. Wait, Jamal and Eastbound appreciate the support. No, I've definitely seen it, but you know, but it's ridiculous. I'm just saying, in terms of the themes, he, she she chides him on being raped, kicks him out about the politics of the country she knew about when she took the the queenship. Right. And mind you, they always had a queen. Let's be clear about that. And shout out to Madge Sinclair, who played the queen in the first movie. She actually died in 1995. She had a like a 13-year bout with leukemia. So shout out to her. Uh, she passed away uh, back then. But, you know, they always had a queen. But somehow it's not enough to have a queen. They need to have a queen that's solely in charge. Right? And so that becomes the contestation between them. But in the midst of all of this happening, he has to apologize to her. Right? By having an orchestra. And then he's he's considered acceptable again. But notice, you, I mean, look, at any point in the film, did you ever see a woman apologize to a man? Oh, ever. hell no. No. Not once. No. Not once. But there's no need for a woman to apologize. You know, bruh, as a side note, I just want to say this. Apologizing doesn't make you weak. Mm-hmm. But that's what's wrong with black folks, man. We don't know how to apologize to each other, bro. But that's a side note. Let's push well, on. Well, and I'll, I'll add to that. An apology ain't shit if it doesn't come with a change in behavior. True, true indeed. Even just saying the words mean nothing if you do if you commit the same acts, you know. But, 
you know, one of the things I noticed is it was just it was one way fealty. Where whether right or wrong, men had to apologize, even if they were they were done wrong. And so you kind of, you always came back to this kind of gynocentrism. I think about the scene with Akeem and Cleo McDowell, right, in his restaurant. And Cleo gives him some strong advice about what it may, basically means to be the king, right? What well, basically what it means to be the patriarch, right? Where you 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 bear the the, the weight of taking care of everybody to your own expense, right? Heavy is the crown. Heavy is the crown. And, and I'm, a, I'm not going to lie. It was an interesting scene at that point because he was the only one that had understood Akeem, the weight of what was on Akeem's shoulder, shoulders. And then the way he ended it, when he inspired Akeem and Akeem was going out to handle business, he says, oh, by the way, what would your mother say? I thought it was really interesting because I was like, what is that? That didn't have nothing to do with the conversation up to that point. But but it had everything to do with it. It's like, you know, I always knew that the smartest person in Zamunda was your mother. You remember that part, right? Like, I always thought that the smartest one was your mother. And look, look, I'll say this. Look, let me just be 100% honest, man. Women can be people who give you good counsel if they have your best interest in mind okay and uh you know the the first coming to america was like okay your father dad is your daddy man this the woman he loved go ahead and marry the woman whatever the case may be okay all right okay women but but let me just say this women have always had an influence on men the idea that like men just do whatever they want wantonly right that's just a lie, man. Anybody that's been in an intimate relationship with a woman knows damn well. <laughs> it ain't just whatever you say with a woman, man. It's just never that way. It's like at least not the experiences I've had. You know, it's you can't have a friendship if it's dictation. It's just not. You can't mm-hmm. have any kind of relationship if it's just dictatorial. That well, just doesn't exist. It's one thing for a woman to be cooperative. It's mm-hmm. another thing for a woman to be like jumping on one foot, doing whatever you say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and to be quite honest, you know, I don't think men want that. That's not what men are asking for. But the contextualization of women, uh, excuse me, of women being that way is bullshit to begin with. Women were never that way. Mm-hmm. They never have been that way, bro. Well, <laughs> look, I'm going to add a little bit to what you said because I watched the film. Uh, the, a second time with my son, and he actually he actually had some he had some interesting observations that I didn't have, so I was appreciating that. But I'm gonna be clear: what Cleo said was, I thought she was the wisest Joffer, which okay, was interesting okay, to yeah, me yeah, because yeah. the only people named Joffer were the the multiplicity of kings. So it wasn't that he was just saying, in my opinion, that she was the wisest one, but she was the wisest of all the kings which I found real interesting, right? It, it won because it had nothing. It really didn't have a place there. It was almost like it was kind of jammed in there because it, it didn't fit nothing that came before it. But two, it was almost as if to say, you can't have a line of wisdom coming from men that isn't approved of in some form or fashion by women, or at the very least, a nod to women. Now, I completely agree with what you said, Gigi. I mean, I've been in relationships. Of course, women can provide good counsel. That's not even up. You're absolutely right. That's not even up for for debate. It it is what it is. We're human beings and anybody can have the capacity to pass wisdom on to another person. So 
I fully agree. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I what one of the things that concerned me though was you you couldn't have like put it to you this way. Did anybody in the film, any male, strike you as being particularly wise on his own without necessarily needing female, not having to defer to a female in the film? Like even even Lavelle, you know, Akeem's son, he didn't really make his own. I'm not gonna say he didn't make his own decisions, but I mean, he had to be led by his mother, by by the hairdresser. I mean, by his sister. Shit, he was led. That boy was led in a thousand different. He wouldn't have known what to do. And how did he wouldn't know how to uh, comb his own head? Oh, I forgot he didn't comb his own he head. He didn't, right? <laughs> I mean, at no t- at no turn could men be wise. They were just foolishly in power. But wisdom primarily came from women, and the only wise acts they could really do was when directed by women. Even King Joffre in the first movie, he only lets Lisa come because his wife, the queen, tells him he should. Right. There's no wisdom that comes from the men because men are not connected to wisdom. We have to do it through women or else it's not valid. And that's that's fundamentally what I have a problem with this idea that, again, it goes back to what you were talking about in terms of the Victorian age, the Victorian era, as far as regarding femininity in a patriarchal context, that women are inherently pure. They're inherently wise. They're inherently beautiful inside and out. And that a progressive man is progressive because he takes direction from women. He doesn't really have direction of his own to extend. And if it's not authorized by women, it's inherently foolish and oppressive. Man, I said this a long time ago, man. If women are that damn perfect, they they need leave the earthly plane. They may as well not be here. They have earned apotheosis. Right, you to be just, in their presence, right? Now, man, like you, you, you've reached nirvana. Exactly. There's no need exactly. for you to be here anymore. Exactly. You, you got all the answers. You, but look, I'm telling you, we have a variant of feminism that is beyond excessive. Mm-hmm. We have power justifying itself in the name of of uh, uh, you know, uh, power justifying itself under the the. The aegis of injustice. That's yeah. what we have, man. And uh, how long do you have to like before you figure this out? Like, uh, you know, how how long do you have to endure it before you figure out? Like, okay, because many of us, especially like I was born in the seventies, man. Okay, mm-hmm. um, my mother did get married again, um, but her and my father, you know. Uh, you know, they couldn't maintain whatever was going on with them. But uh, so my earliest years, I was alone with my mother. Um, and then my stepfather moved in. Uh, good dude. Uh, but I, like, I just don't I've never seen this dictatorial patriarchy. I've just never seen it in my lifetime. Well, you I've, just, I've never seen this, bro. But it, and I'm going to tell you something that you, you already know and everybody know Gigi know it. So I'm not telling him as if he doesn't. It doesn't exist. You know, when you ever, anytime you've engaged someone in a critical discussion about black patriarchy, you know what tends to happen? They, they bait and switch the discussion from a system, which is what patriarchy is, and they shift that to anecdotal individual acts of abuse or rape. Man, I just saw a woman do it on Facebook. Yeah. Not Facebook, but YouTube. She's got a video out and uh, 
you know, uh, about the patriarchy and uh, some woman wearing glasses. Uh, she's a radical feminist, uh, uh, regards herself as one. So because black men don't have institutional power, they reduce patriarchy to a system of violence. Yes. And and uh, but when you look at the empirical data, you see that like women are just as violent, if not more violent than men. They're just They're just as rapey and creepy as are men. And murderous. Statistically speaking, if you talk about intimate partner homicide against a population of 43 million black folk, it's pretty even. But we don't talk about, you know, one whole half of that. So it's just it's just laid at the feet of men. Right. But I, I, I'm really looking, you know, and I'm going with what you were talking about, but I can't help but keep seeing it. You know, when when we have these discussions about patriarchy, you know, all you hear are individual acts. Like I, I, I sat in a lecture with one woman, one feminist who gave a presentation about patriarchy. And, and not only do they turn to individual acts of abuse or rape, right? They turn to mythology, right? The big piece of chicken. I have heard scholars with doctorates stand up in front of a crowd giving presentations on black patriarchy and they cite the big piece of chicken as some kind of goddamn piece of evidence. Man, I ain't, I'm not going to even entertain that foolishness, man. I'm just, but that's what I'm saying when I talk about mythology. That's where it goes because you can't find a system of domination where black men and white men are kicking it together, smoking cigars in the club, you know, laughing about holding power and oppressing their women and children. It it, it doesn't. It, it's not real. Yeah, but at the barbershop, I can't. Boy, I remember back in the day, we used to be able to grab them girls on that ass. We used to be able to hit the cheeks. <laughs> I mean, that's just how I was characterized in the movie, man. Like, absolutely. Uh, and look, men, men did used to be uh, like you know, wolf whistled women and stuff like that. Uh, you know, uh, but damn, man, come on, man. Like women, you act like women don't do this shit as well, man. Like, has a woman ever come on to you, bro? In life, like, come on, man. Like, just be honest about this, man. <laughs> And they do some 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 like pretty creepy shit. Like I, you know, I remember going back uh, to visit uh, my, my family in Chicago. You know, and uh, you know, I was kind of swole at the time. You know, I was working out. You know, hella hard. And uh, you know, I remember the women just like grabbing my arms and rubbing all on my chest. I'm like, motherfucker, you, you like my mama age, and and you knew me when I was a fucking shorty. Why are you touching on me like this, man? You know what I'm saying? Like this, like imagine, like I'm 55 or some shit, and you know the girl is like 24, and I'm like, damn, that ass kind of juicy. Let me feel with that. Let me rub that booty real quick. Come on, bro. Man, <laughs> but like this, women feel like they have the right to be able to do this kind of shit. Look. You, I don't know if you really had that experience until you had a woman tell your mother she about to bed you. What? Uh-huh. One of my mother's friends pulled that mess. It, it's it's real in the field, man, because it's a one-way narrative as far as what is acceptable in regard to behavior and what isn't. And men, you know, being initi- initiating anything sexually oriented is inherently a problem, but that's because we're lesser being and we haven't achieved apotheosis. But but it, look, there's there's another element to this that I want to bring in. There's actually two, because um, I do want to bring in a couple people 
but I want to I want to close out uh, within about a half hour. So we're going to be I'm going to I'm going to pick this up a little. There's two elements to this to this series that I have serious problems with. The first one is the depiction of a progressive relationship against an inherently uh, 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 oppressive one. Right. So you have the progressive relationship like you pointed out. Right. Even in the first movie where you got to find a woman that speaks her mind, which seems to be synonymous with cussing you out or telling you off or calling you a bitch in your own movie. But anyway, putting you out the house or putting you out the house. This is somehow a progressive relationship because she's an equal and equal is primarily defined as someone who gets to disrespect you. And then what what's it, what it's posed against. And they did this in both movies and they it actually brought back Vanessa Bell Calloway in the second one. Right. The woman who was barking in the first mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. She had been raised from birth to serve him as his wife. And they did the same thing in this one with, uh, you know, General Izzy's daughter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is that those two women represented uh, how women would act under this oppressive male patriarchy. Now, that's bullshit. The problem is, one, they didn't actually reference a patriarchy in Africa and ask how women were treated and socialized and raised. They, they didn't do that. Well, they, they used kind of a Western feminist imagination about what women in a patriarchy must be like. Right. Which, you know, Western feminists generally regard as slaves. Right. And then they depicted that. So now you have this choice between this woman who's been who's who's prepared herself to be abused and be your servant that you're going to wipe your feet off of or a human being that you can have dialogue with. And these are the two choices that we're given. Right. And, and they do this in both movies. So you, you have this depiction of, of of progressiveness, which is to me inherently problematic in terms of how they frame it. And then you have this imaginary African patriarchy and they're pitted against each other consistently. And it's a disingenuous choice because neither one is actually treated like it functions in the real world. And I know this is a comedy. It's this and that. And I'm saying, no, this is propaganda. This goes beyond that. This is a, this, this, this is a feminist notion, right? That, that if you choose this African patriarchal relationship, you are inherently an oppressor and both men, uh, Akeem and his son Lavelle are marked as progressive because they both turn these relationships down. But you want to know the ultimate irony though? What did it Madge, Madge Sinclair's queen in the first movie was actually like Vanessa Bell Calloway, like, like uh, Izzy's daughter in this one. They actually, her and Joffer actually married and she was raised to be. They talked about this in the first movie. Their, their marriage was arranged. She, they had a conversation in the beginning of the movie about how uncomfortable it was at first until they eventually came to love each other. So it's an interesting dynamic where... To me, the wisest Joffer of the land was actually a product of the African patriarchy that we're told is supposed to be a slave. See, see there, see, see, see there, see what you just did there. <laughs> Tell me. No, I'm just I'm playing with you, bro. I, I'm just you know I'm I'm even so that that's one that's that's the first one I wanted to put on the table and I wanted to get your response to, and the second one. <laughs> which I know you got a response to, right? You got three princesses that physically beat up a warmongering general of a military who instead, I guess their idea of training is using shake weights and dancing to video games, but nonetheless, right? Three princesses beat up 
him and all his soldiers by themselves. Man, and, and little the little ones too. They, you know, they all they are, man, dude. But we already been over this, man, a million times. Um, well, I'm just asking me. I mean, you from what I I'm asking you. What I understand, not only is the character a warmonger, but the real life actor got about ten black belts. Man, you got to let them win, bro, to make them feel good. Because <laughs> they are, I mean, this is like what we saw with uh, Lovecraft Country, where they imagine themselves to be these Amazonian type of women, where they could like, you know, just destroy an entire Confederate army, uh, where you know, they have the, the innate viciousness and fierceness in order to, you know, repel physically and potently, you know, uh, any threat that comes their way. Uh, but this is just this is just an imagination of of uh, or a fantasization about uh, their own power in relation to men's power. So it's 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 penis envy, bro. You know, uh, and I, that's why I showed that fire and line debate, man. And I think Ariana Huffington is right about this. And I think also Camille Paglia made reference to it as well in that debate that, uh, you know, this emphasis that women move into the domain of men and do what men are doing is uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, the entrance into uh, the Apollonian mindset versus the Dionysian mindset. So, uh, you know, it's it's women's adaptation of masculinity mm-hmm. and uh they're they're terraforming masculinity to make it more comfortable for themselves um and but, I, yeah go ahead no i'm gonna say and i think the sister warrior is right it's designed to emasculate young male minds i think she's dead on with that because the narrative is you got three posh privileged princesses who take martial arts classes and they're able to not only beat up a general but at the same time uh, you know, it, it conquer his will, his his drive to oppress, you know, Zamunda, to where after getting his ass whooped, somehow he's now willing to work with Zamunda. He doesn't terrorize them anymore. Trade routes are opened up, and she is made queen all because she put hands on him and defeated him. So what's the narrative? Right. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the link in the chat. I'm gonna bring a couple people up. I want you to be concise. I want you to, to state your point and uh and, and get to it. So uh, the link is there. Uh so come on through. But go ahead. I was interrupting you, man. Is there anything oh, else? No, you- no, bro. Uh thank you for having me come on. You know, uh the very uh the what was the infamous Gigi, the uh the rabble rouser, the the Luther. Uh, uh, the the anger translator. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because he's he's really being nice with y'all. Your money. <laughs> yeah, but but no, I don't want you. To, I didn't want you to go anywhere. I wanted you to uh to you know, because uh, I think there's a, p- a couple people coming up that uh, might need to hear from. Uh, okay, so it looks like we have Kasonk. I may have mispronounced that. There's a couple people coming Hello? up. To- you got to turn your back. Your background down. Uh, okay, so it looks like we have Ma Kepra. A couple people coming up. Yeah, you turn your background down. Yeah, turn your background. You YouTube off. Uh, okay, so it looks like. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna let him get that together. 
if I, if that is a him, I'm not sure. Uh, let me see. Anyone else want to come up? This is the time. Uh oh, here we go. What's up, man? You know I'm gonna say something. You got? Can you? Let me see. Can y'all hear him all right? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. What's up, man? Uh, What's up, Docs? Uh, I did a review of this shit yesterday. (laughs) It it was painful. I'm like this. This was like a a feminist wet dream. Mm. What if a gas powered vibrator, man? It's say gas powered. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> the nu- I'm sorry, nuclear powered. Oh but- my god! What stuck out in this for you? What 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 stuck out the most? What didn't stick out? I, I, I was I was appalled that in this cancel culture that. It's still okay for for it to be a joke or a pun for a man to be drugged and raped, but you send Bill Cosby up the river for that, allegedly. Mm-hmm. But yet they found out that a lot of the people lied. <sighs> the the stick fighting. Okay, okay. I had to do a Come little sim- similarities. Uh-huh. Let's say Let's say the movie take place in real time, twenty twenty one. So, any of us who took martial arts or combat sports of any of any type, mm-hmm. the master does not get weaker with age. Get when it. it comes to skill, he becomes mm-hmm. nastier. Get it? Yep. Yep. He would have took them sticks, all three, and would have would have whooped their asses unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. I, I would have got it if he let them win, like fathers mm-hmm. usually do with their kids. That would have made sense. Yeah, but, but even a martial arts master and a father lets you win a certain way. You don't knock him on his behind. No, that's not how that goes. No. But now in real time, a real martial arts master will put you on the ground and then tell you you're getting better. Let's let's. But Damn. but look, but Charles, this is what happened. This is what this is, man. It <laughs> defies the archetype of martial arts movies in general. Because mm-hmm. in any martial arts movie, there's the master who's chilling and letting all his proteges or students do the light work until yeah. he's called upon heavy. to actually get busy and let all the underlings know. Who really is the master? Because he's got techniques he ain't taught him yet. You know, yep. you know. I'll give you a good example. I've told this story a couple of times. The first time I wrestled my coach, he knocked me unconscious with a throw, and there this tells you how tough we were. Mm-hmm. When we did preseason, we practiced in, gla- in grass. Okay, it toughens you to hell up. Like mm. that humbled me to the point where this man could have had me. Five ways to Sunday, so I'm gonna shut up and listen and humble myself. Okay. Let, let, let's speed up a little bit. When we get to, I forget what the guy's name, the illegitimate son, Lavelle. Yeah. Lavelle. Lavelle Johnson. Go ahead. Isn't that such a black name? God yeah. damn! Mm-hmm. No, not a Charles among these motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, but he's so effeminated. That he can't make a decision without a woman. 
being present. And he literally reminded me of a best friend of mine when I had to tell him about himself, like, dude, don't ever admit to me that you that you want that you are proud of your mother being a single parent. That's shameful. Okay. Who's your masculine teachers? This is the reason why women run over you, dude. Well, he supposedly had his uncle, but he was looking for female direction at every turn. He wasn't exactly. He wasn't self, you know, authorized, authored. You know, he couldn't define his own direction. He was constantly looking for women in particular. And uh, then, if you ever notice this, every woman that guided him was ranked below him. I mean, for God's sake, he was the goddamn heir apparent to the throne. Yep. Your goddamn hairdresser. I can see I can see I can see Obama back. Yeah, uh, can you get uh Mo back here to uh, cut my hair and uh yeah, I need some uh global politic uh information from my what the, what <laughs> it is ridiculous. And, I and, want... and, 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 and the sad part, doctors, and um what is that A B? I don't know that mm-hmm. voice anywhere. Mm-hmm. When she gets drunk with a hood girl. And my memory serves me correctly because, you know, we watch Coming to America more than we watch The Christmas Story. Right. Okay. Right. She's not even a hood girl. She's an upper middle class chick who went to college. Precisely. Which one are we talking about? You're talking about uh, um, his wife. Oh, Lisa. Okay, right. right. Yeah. So she's right. she would in real life, she would have nothing in common with, with Lisa Jones' character. Mm-hmm. So she gets up there drunk, and he's like, yo, you're getting out of pocket. And she puts the king, a monarch, the head of state out of his Roman palace. Like, I'm just thinking, like, if that was real, he would have Henry VIII her ass. They'd have been like, um, like, yeah, what happened to the queen? Don't ask. Uh, she's mm. just, buried this, just buried this unsuspecting um, rug out back. And don't let anybody know. Now I want to get I want to get every person up here an opportunity to drop in something. So um, now let me get AB. What do you What do you want to drop in on this, man? Uh, let, let's start with that scene. That's that specific scene. That's not what I would have done. Damn, man. But uh, no. Um, oh, the the uh, uh, I told BGS is on Twitter. The guy Nocracy is strong in this movie. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, now there are some scenes I did like, like when, uh, you know, he remembers that, you know, he was messing with Leslie Jones and he goes to kick Simmy's ass. I enjoyed that scene. Okay. I thought, I thought that was realistic. That was very realistic. I would have done this. I would have done the exact same thing. I would have tacked him, beat the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. For, for putting you in the situation. Yep. Yeah. I thought that was very realistic. Um, I'm a job, though. That's his. His, uh, his son was a wimp. Mm-hmm. No, he's always, he's thirty years old asking his mom for permission. Out. My mom was listening to me by the time I was thirty. I was asking permission for you know the you know the uh, get bathed really. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's man. I, I, I would have been knee deep. Right. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm still trying to kill the, the visual of that scene of that dude dude uh, coming out of the water. I was like, oh, 
out of her. I don't know if that was worse than the scene where she held up a candle and she kind of uh, she opened her legs and oh gosh. tried to push the scent of her vagina with the candle toward I can't I, yeah anyway yeah make that make sense yeah. now now let me let me see so we got uh, we got a couple of guests up here um, now is it Kasank how do I pronounce your name. Oh, might be having more sound problems. Uh, it's Kasak Maak Eparu. Okay, right. so we can hear you now. All right, you would drop drop your thoughts in on this because we're gonna we're gonna close out in about fifteen minutes or so. So I want everybody to be able to get their thoughts out. Right, just a number of things because I am an African priest and looking at this film was just appalling. It was garbage. For one thing, you you have a priesthood that oversees the king and queen. You, you have an initiation process where you have um, young brothers taking a person through manhood. So there's all these supporting mechanisms that you were just absent from the film. And the idea that you have two progressives, a king mm-hmm. and his wife sitting on the throne, and yet they're trying to get you to buy this idea that um, Zamunda has a rule against women having business businesses which okay. I, I don't understand how, how, how did that rule come into place. And in African history, if you understand it, women were co-rulers. Uh, they, they were even mm. far ahead of white women in gaining privileges such as divorce, um, getting um, alimony, things of that nature. But the, the, the real appalling stuff comes um, into the fact where you are displacing the real issues that we should be discussing, which is the um, civil rights, um, un, un, unequal treatment, police brutality, things of that nature in place of extreme black feminist ideology. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand, like, how are we not addressing the current um, issues that, that are facing both black men and women for this really uh, supposed uh, patriarchy in Zamunda that really does not exist. Mm-hmm. And I go mm-hmm. back to the fact that you don't have two progressives on the throne and and still have some type of oppression of women. And lastly, I want to say this. That there are consequences to putting a queen as a single ruler. Lavelle mm-hmm. passed the tests. Lavelle, regardless of mm-hmm. how, you can't make her queen just because the daughter wants to be queen. Lavelle passed right. the test. He right. he was the rightful, right. and and they there were thank you. There were inconsistencies in the script. For example, sure, sure. Said, I, I've been preparing for this all my life. Well, if you were the firstborn, obviously King knew he was going to have more children and could possibly have a male heir. Why were you preparing for this? I thought the same thing. Right. That makes no sense whatsoever. You knew right. the rules. And the rules in African tradition, as I said, I'm African priest. I was brought up in the tradition, are not there arbitrarily. They're for a reason. If you mm-hmm. suddenly make her queen without a, 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 a co-ruler, that's going to destroy the family line. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The consequences of how how is she going to bring into effect a, a, a king or a prince and then give birth? What's going to happen? Who's going to rule then? So there's these things where they're trying to superimpose white uh, male oppression of white women onto uh, black culture, which right. has never been historically our culture to su- oppress uh, black women. And it's but, scary but- to 
point of where they're displacing the true arguments and issues of police brutality, of civil right. rights, equality, economic. But um, doing it, but doing it through a, but doing it through a fictitious African country, right? And and but at the same time, trying to introduce a queen, even though we've already seen, you know, the last movie with a queen. So it, so we're really not talking about the, a queen. We're talking about having a single rule you know, uh, uh, a single rulership without marriage and she wants it to be a woman. This wasn't a push for her to be a queen. There had already been queens. Her mother was the queen. Is yeah, the queen. Exactly. exactly. Well, well, there's always been a queen according to that we, narrative. And we can compare this to history in the rule of Queen Hapsut Shut. She was pharaoh. She was queen. Um, she wore a beard. But after her reign, uh, Kemet Egypt went back to having a king and queen. So you know, that wasn't there's, a reason, there's a reason why it, it, it's it's the way it is. And, mm-hmm. it, it, and and lastly, we have to get out of this one dimensional portrayal of characters. They were so cartoonish and buffoonish and one dimensional. There was no breadth and depth to understanding the culture, understanding the characters. I, I just felt like I was watching a cartoon in a way. It's like they, the writing was just so superficial. But that's all well, I wanted to say. No, and I appreciate you coming mm-hmm. up, man. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I um, think you were spot on about that, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's why I said, you know, uh, everything from, but it was a comedy. Okay, I'll give it that. Uh, but it wasn't an intellectual comedy. It was a, no, it, uh, it was a slack, a slapstick, vulgar right. uh, comedy. Is well, what it was, and then interspersed with a uh, intersectional feminism. Is what it was, and and, and then at the same time. Uh, what what we're also looking at is is an is a kind of African American comedic imagining of what an African country, uh, an African patriarchal mm-hmm. country would look like, uh, without any kind of analysis into various African cultures. Is none of that. Let me uh, let me get uh, the other guest up here. Uh, obstacles. Um, yes, sir. Go ahead and uh, drop your thoughts in on this real quick. Of course. Uh, first of all, shout out to all the kings and the pharaohs, and I appreciate your channel because it does the direct opposite. It empowers young black boys, and then also some men could be powered from the panel and the channel constantly. So I appreciate it a lot. Um, so I definitely want to say that you know this movie is just one of the many sagas that continue to perpetrate this type of dynamics between men and women, especially in the African or black context. I mean, we have the same thing that happened in also, what's the movie called again? Black Panther, right? Mm-hmm. Where this coup d'etat, where the females decided to, you know, take African tradition or just even the way things organized and take it into an entirely different direction and decided to make, uh, you know, choices on their own, beating up Killmonger, right? And now we have the same thing happen here with, like you just mentioned earlier, about Wesley Snipes being an actual real martial mm-hmm. arts in real life in real time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of these things, you know, I, I hear people You're and I still hear getting the context. Girl. Exactly. And I hear the context of, you know, uh, well, this is a comedy. Remember that, you know, I think K.S., spoke about the lady from Cosmopolitan, but there was recently an actual video clip, a documentary that she did also talking about how propaganda actually works. And, you know, whether it's comedy, whether it's intellectual, whether it's, you know, scholarly work, all of it matters. You know, scholars do watch comedy 
And mm. in comedy, you need to insert those. And, and actually, it's the worst when it's in comedy or entertainment because people have their guards down. Absolutely. When they watch something that it's a documentary, mm. they're in, engaged intellectually. Right. But right. Right. and they're more they're more so understand propaganda at that level, right? So if you watch the news and you're looking at some information about China, somebody's gonna be like, "Oh, that's propaganda." If mm-hmm. it's like something positive, they can be engaged. Mm-hmm. But if it's a movie, they're like, "Oh, well, it's just a movie, so it really doesn't matter." Mm-hmm. And that's where the propaganda hits you, subconscious and you know, conscious. So I want to end on this point: is that this has effects because most people will say, "Well, you know." So what, right? All my life, when I was younger, all the way up to 30, uh, let me say 27, I'm 33 now, I believed in this narrative that about my great granddaddy. He was a loser, uh, great grandma kicked off the land, he wasn't doing nothing. Come to find out that my great granddaddy was a, war, a World War II veteran yeah. after serving his country and after sacrificing going through all types of real war and horror right not the one i went through in iraq but worse right mm-hmm. uh, he came back to drive a taxi company and just have his own thing and i remember my sister was talking about him like oh he was just he drank too much and he just drew, drove a taxi but great grandma she was working two jobs so she kicked him off the land and, and this remind you this was the land that he got during the time where they made black soldiers have two excuse me Black soldiers have two additional parcels in order to get land, right? So they kicked them off. And I said, well, how do you know this too? Well, that's what grandma said. Well, grandma was a child, right? So how would she know? And he'd been to World War II. You know what type of horrors he's seen or he experienced? And so I did the manly thing. I, I did the sophisticated thing and said what I had to say and do what I had to do to finally take my great granddaddy's land back from the Ghanaians Ghanaocracy and get it actually built up, rehabbed, and profitable and kept inside the family's heir of name. And I think it's important for us young black men to know our rightful place in this world. And it's not to be subservient to anybody else. And it's not to not control our own destiny. And I told my friend the greatest investment that he can have, and this is no shock to anybody, but the greatest investment a man can have is into his brotherhood. I've not only sacrificed and made it through wars, but I have done so with men, men that I might have not agreed with, but I made it back. So invest in the brotherhood and in the brotherhood, we can build what we want to and not these fictitious Wakandas and Zamundas, but a real dynamic for black men. Mm, Okay. Hey, man. Obstacles, I appreciate you dropping in. Thank you for that. Yeah, much, much, much respect. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the mess- one of the overall arching things I got from the movie is um, uh, black men don't need to be king. You don't need to be a king. Mm-hmm. You can you can go back to the ghetto, ghetto, you know, and struggle for the rest of your life. Right. That's what right. I was like. I was like, I see what I see what they're trying to do. This is a this is a straight up godnocracy hit piece. Right. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Not Absolutely. only that. Not you can be that. dumb as hell. You can be dumb as hell. Be be ignorant and arrogant and not how not know how to properly speak. Go ahead. Not only Carol. that. Not only that. Think about this. This little hood booger, in her mind, you a print prep princess who was given everything. Yep. Less than a week, he outdid you. 
Oh, see, think about this. This is the one thing you got to break down to see with the lion. It was his okay. idea of okay. rubbing the cat food on it. That's right. true. It was his idea of making the cage to protect himself, mm-hmm. not hers. Right. The only thing she helped was rub the shit on it. Mm-hmm. So he was actually more had more ingenious plans than she ever did. And here's another thing that I said to a female friend of mine. If she thought that she could be the queen, why didn't she offer to go through the test? See, that's the, that's the number one thing that represents the gynocracy. You don't want to fight the same fight that men do, that men will. You want to whine for your rights. Well, but it, the implication was that they wouldn't let her, you know, in some kind of way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's what they were trying to imply. And, but, and, and, and I would also ask, where for uh, Zamunda is supposed to be this beautiful, industrious, modernized African land or kingdom. Mm-hmm. Where the hell was the military for a damn warlord to walk inside the cat the palace? <laughs> he came he right up in that joint, man. Like, like I, I, was, I was like, people were like, well, it's a comedy. <laughs> I like to tell people this one thing: a lot of your most racist tropes were comedies. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, 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 they they spent more energy guarding bedrooms than they did guarding the country. I mean, if anything, yeah, the standing military were the three princesses. It was, but it wasn't much different from Black Panther, where when you got down to the military, it was primarily the Dora Milaje. But well, the Dora Milaje, they were they, they were the comic books. They were kind of like the president's, you know, guard. Secret that service. That, Secret service. Because yeah. the, even even the border tribe, even in the movie. The border tribe was the primary first defense. Right. So there was like, that's why I told people, literary, in a literary sense, it made no sense whatsoever. Nah. You can't, nah. I'm just looking at it like, what part is this is funny again? You know, one of the things, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say this and then, you know, give everybody their, their closing statement, but one of the other things that kind of bothered me, and I, I saw this in the first movie as well. Right. You had you actually had a two way discriminatory, you know, stereotypical, you know, kind of view of black culture and African culture. Right. There was a lot of both films made as much fun of ADOS FBA as they did Africans in a derogatory kind of way on both fronts. Right. It it was real. It it was it tripped me out to watch in both movies, you know, uh, seeing it that you had all of the stereotypes about Africans and, and, and uh, you know, I, I won't even go through them, but, you, but when you really look at it, they did the same thing with African-Americans. And it was an interesting kind of way that, that we can't, you know, be critical and funny without being stereotypical. And there were, there's an opportunity to do that in a black made film, or at least what appears to be a black made film, but for it to rest back on stereotypes about, you know, primitive Africans and 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 impoverished and ignorant. You know, the uh, ADOS FBA. It, it it's it just becomes a parody that that goes beyond parody. But it, let me give each one of you. I'm gonna start with with AB, and then we'll go to Charles, and then we'll go to Gigi. Any closing thoughts, reflections you want to share? Uh, SYSBM. Don't believe the gynocracy hit piece called "Coming to America." <laughs> okay. All right. Much appreciated. Have a good one. Uh, you Peace as well, up. man. Thanks for coming up. No Charles. problem. 
Any thoughts, man? What do you want to close on? From a real-life warrior since the day he was brought into this world, don't let Hollywood nor the gynocracy dictate your masculinity towards you. Word. Woo! Word. Word. <laughs> Woo, Thank brother. You Thank you for that. Appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, and I hope you're feeling better, brother. Let's see. All right. Gigi, what you think, man? Anything you want to drop on here? Um, ultimately, man, uh, Hollywood, uh, as well as the media in general, has been involved in promoting, you know, these narratives about female superiority uh, under the veneer of inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's making these guidelines, but we know they've been made before. I mean, I don't know if you know about the motion uh, picture production code that was set up uh, by the studios in the 1930s. Um, And they basically came up with this known as Hayes Code. And uh, he was the president of the motion motion picture uh, producers and distributors of America. And they had a host of legislation that was coming up uh, in the Congress because of some scandals that had taken place in the 20s, 1920s, okay? So they decided to self-regulate and to push specific kinds of narratives. I think something, you know, contemporarily is being done in relation to, uh, you know, uh, media production. Can't quite put my finger on it yet because there's no, you know, uh, formal exposition of what's going down and how it's going down, but we're getting glimpses of it. Uh, especially, you know, with the woman who just recently came out with the documentary from Cosmopolitan, how she was urged to promote certain narratives to women. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think all of this is being done uh, in the service of, of capitalism. All of this is, you know, sure. propaganda used to sell products Absolutely. and to sell lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, people don't want to believe that. They want to believe that they're, you know, working in service of justice. But in actuality, uh, more often than not, uh, they're being sold a product or a service. And uh, mm-hmm. it's sad, you know, uh, <laughs> that we're at this point. Uh, but, you know, uh, I hope to uh, continue to inform and to get people to understand that uh, these ideologies uh, aren't necessarily rooted in justice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're often just rooted in filthy lucre. So. Absolutely. And y'all make sure you check out uh, Charles Faulkner's review of coming to America too. Also uh, check out the green gorilla channel right here on YouTube. Look it up. Uh, you need to go back. You know, you got some homework to do because if, if you delving into Gigi, you can't just start with the last video. You, you're going to get addicted. So check out the brother's channel, green gorilla. And I appreciate you coming up here, up here, man. Thank you. Oh man. You're most welcome, bro. All right, man. Take it easy. All uh, right. All right, y'all. Appreciate y'all coming through in this drop-in show. Just wanted to pop in real quick and just give you some things to think about in relation to the film, at least in terms of some of the things I saw. I hope you uh, enjoyed the discussion, and I appreciate you being here, and y'all have a good weekend. Peace.